0: Welcome to the Psych Rock Podcast. I'm your host, Temple Rose. I'm an artist, musician, and writer, and I run a music website called the This is the first episode of our podcast series, and I cover some of my favorite topics involving the history of psychedelic rock. The Psych Rock Podcast is going to cover music, arts, psychedelic Psychedelic culture, culture, and and upcoming interviews with bands, labels, and monologues about psychedelics, psychedelic Psychedelic music, history, and the best music out there today. This episode I cover the beginnings of psychedelic rock from around the world, focusing on 1964 to 1973 and highlighting the movements in the USA, UK, and Germany with discussions about bands such as the 13th Floor Elevators, Pink Floyd, Black Sabbath, Jimi Hendrix, Tangerine Dream, and more. Buckle up, it's a good one. And the music you're hearing is by Black Satori, my band. Check us out on Bandcamp. So thepsychrock.com is my website where I do music reviews. And um, now it's spawned into social media platforms, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. At first, I just wanted to promote the music that I enjoyed that wasn't very popular. I'd go see these bands, uh, play shows where there were just a handful of people in the room, and the bands were extraordinarily talented, making amazing, unique music. So I started the psychrock.com as a blog to promote the music that I really enjoyed. When I started, there wasn't a ton of music in the genre. It was sometimes weeks between posts many times because I just wasn't finding the music that, that fit the genre very well. Um, but just recently this year, I've already gotten about 90 posts up of new music because the genre has just exponentially grown, I think partially due to home recording, because a lot of people who make this music are not well connected within the industry. They're just people who are inspired to do their own thing, rock out, make some weird music. And I think it's real ins- inspirational. I started out basically writing about bands like Ala laz who has a Southern California surf rock tone, very vintage sounding, retro sound with jangly guitars, beautiful vocal harmonies, definite shades of Beach Boys and Beatles in there. As well as some lesser known bands like from Los Angeles, like the Human Expression. And also, then on the other side, for like heavier space rock, a band called Vibravoid was one of the first to really get in touch with me and send me a promo kit all the way from Germany. Vibravoid makes awesome psychedelic rock and it was spot on for my blog. Receiving that promotional package from Christian at Vibrovoid really propelled me to think seriously about continuing my blog um, as a way to get promos and as a way to discover new music and help bands to meet their audience and help audiences find their bands. Vibrovoid was awesome because they had a really 60s psychedelic sound that was very contemporary simultaneously just with the layering of effects that you can do now with studio recording in our modern age he would use vintage synthesizers and keyboards guitars fuzz pedals to make these 60s psychedelia pop songs that maybe are closest to some of the early pink floyd Then he also goes out on these long space rock journeys. He'll do live shows with 20-30 minute long songs where he and the band are just jamming out. I was listening to one of their albums the other day. um, Intergalactic Orgasmic Freakout, I think it's called. I've actually got the record right here because I'm sitting next to my collection. Vibravoid Intergalactic Acid Freakout Orgasms featuring some beautiful nude figures on the cover. It's a live album. It really is great. came out this year and I was listening to it and my spouse was like, this band plays Pink Floyd covers better than Pink Floyd. (laughs) I thought that was really great. I think At this point, it might be true. Pink Floyd isn't what it used to be. It's kind of broken up into multiple bands. They aren't releasing albums anymore. But before COVID, tours were happening. But it was Roger Waters or Nick Mason or uh, David Gilmore doing their Pink Floyd thing. And I think Pink Floyd is a really important part of the whole movement in general. So psychedelic rock is just music that came and has been a evolutionary derivative of those early psychedelic rock sounds that came out of the 60s. The very first psychedelic rock band was the 13th Floor Elevators, maybe possibly also the first kind of pre-punk band as well. Their album, The Psychedelic Sounds of the 13th Floor Elevators, came out in 64 or 65 and was one of the most hard-rockin' radical things out there. The band themselves had managed to get a hold of Sandoz Laboratory LSD, uh, the original stuff that Albert Hoffman uh, made in his laboratory. They also got a hold of DMT uh, cannabis down there in Austin, Texas, and they were one of the first bands to really write songs about psychedelics. Their song Roller Coaster is said to be about smoking DMT. They used to get in a lot of trouble with the law, and that's actually a really sad story about how all that goes down. People in the band are like continuously getting arrested and continuously being having their equipment broken by the police like searching looking for drugs and rocky erickson eventually was tried but found insane because he had used lsd um, and went through many years in a mental asylum with shock therapy and the whole thing but back in the 60s when they started they were this early pioneer of psychedelic rock And they would do these shows where before the show, they would hand out LSD to the audience and then they would go on stage, you know, 30 minutes later and be playing their music. And they felt like their purpose in music was to create this feedback loop between the audience and the band where they're in a sort of shared consciousness, where they're kind of telepathizing between one another to create a more immersive, deeper experience they sort of thought about it as like putting on 3D glasses, like without them it's you don't see the 3D effects, but with them you can take a ride with the band and hear the music that way. That was a philosophy that really stretched outward into the 60s and 70s, and I think a concept that has really matured over time, people are better and more mindful about not going too far with things, but maybe, maybe I'm wrong about that, but a lot of bands now don't hand out any kind of substances at their shows, they don't um, encourage that amongst their audience, they don't, you know, they, many of the bands now that are psychedelic rock bands are basically totally sober, straight, down-to-earth people who are just really inspired by the whole history of psychedelic rock. But the 13th Floor Elevators really only had two or three albums that they came out with. Um, Rocky Erickson was sort of the forefront man of that band, and Stacy Sutherland, legendary guitarist. Um, then you kind of had the West Coast scene, where you had more of, I would say, like an acid folk movement, where you had um, Grateful Dead and Jefferson Airplane, Quicksilver Messenger Service, those types of bands. Where there was sort of a extended jamming happening, a sort of acoustic guitar, folk bass for a lot of the music, and then there was also Jimi Hendrix, who, sort of a bridge between the U.K. and the West Coast USA, since he's from Washington, the state of Washington, and. Actually, Jimi Hendrix is a really interesting character to me, one of my favorite guitarists of all time, and definitely one of the most influential psychedelic guitarists of all time. He's seen in a lot of different ways, and I, I always thought it was interesting watching the documentaries and reading the books about him, because he spent a lot of time in his childhood on a Indian reservation, because he was, he was part Native American as well, so he's just this really interesting character for the to emerge in the nineteen sixties and to become such a star. And in the story of Jimi Hendrix, he of course ended up getting his start in the UK. He left the United States to find opportunities elsewhere cause he was just sort of striking out. He'd been one of those amazing uh, back, back-end players for so many touring R&B bands, the types of bands where if you played a wrong note you wouldn't get paid, real cutthroat music scene with the best of the best. And finally he went out to the UK and he was able to do his own thing because his style on guitar was so unique, so experimental, so powerful. And Jimi Hendrix is really important for another reason in that he was continuously pushing the technology that's there for guitar. He had hired an electronic engineer to come and help build him customized fuzz pedals, wah pedals, and this guy, Roger Mayer, who you can actually buy his stuff today was working directly with Jimi Hendrix, literally going into the back room during studio sessions, switching out parts inside of his uh, guitar effects pedals to get certain sounds and tones. So Jimi Hendrix, through his innovative thinking and his drive to find the best technologies to make the music he wanted to make, was able to create a revolution in what ended up becoming the whole pedal market for electric guitars, which today is a huge marketplace. I've got some pretty amazing ones myself, and I'd love to try out some of those Roger Mayer ones. Uh, Roger Mayer was a guy out in the UK, so Jimi Hendrix met him out there, and back in the day, you used to have to test fuzz pedals. Each one sounded different because the capacitors and stuff were Just different quality in each one, so he would sit in the record shops and music shops just testing out all these pedals. And part of his sound was those live performances getting like feedback between that distortion and his amp and uh, using the guitar in strange ways to modulate and oscillate those signals of course too he was just one of the great blues guitarists of all time and mixed in blues and rock all together and just would push it into these far out places his themes with space aliens ufo's and then just kind of casual life as well but he made some pretty weird music experimental stuff was really coming out of him on the regular and of course the story with him too kind of similar to what I'll talk about later with pink floyd is that he had troubles with his managers and troubles with the whole music business of the 1960s and 1970s. Like I say, it's the it's the music industry isn't a great place for people. The managers felt they had a lot of power over the bands, and Jimi Hendrix was in a constant struggle with his later manager near the time of his death. Because Jimi Hendrix had built his own studio, Electric Ladyland, and was doing his own thing down there. And he wanted to start working with all of the best black musicians in America. He wanted to work with the best jazz drummers, with trumpets. He wanted to work with everybody. He wanted to break up this whole idea of being Jimi Hendrix, this band with all these different people. He wanted to be a solo artist and work with whoever he wanted to work with and to really enhance the black voices of America and the music scene. And he knew he had the star power to really bring a lot of these people forward into the public eye and just really to change the nature of music. But he met a lot of resistance with the record labels who didn't like the idea and the manager who literally thought it was a terrible idea and yeah, not so long after that, uh, he, Jimi Hendrix, ended up dying. I don't know, out of disappointment or was it uh, someone coming after him with a grudge or just an accident? Nobody really knows, but uh, yeah, too many sleeping pills. And I guess he used to kind of do some uppers and have this trouble like being sleeping at night. So he'd take these sleeping pills and that goes into the whole thing about how managers back then used to, just hand out drugs to the musicians as a performance enhancer and how dangerous that ended up becoming for people. Also in the UK, we had Black Sabbath with Ozzy Osbourne and Tony Iommi. Um, Black Sabbath, of course, spawned the entire movement for Stoner Rock and Doom and Heavy Psych. So Black Sabbath's impact has been huge. The bands that followed them really are, you know, the whole history of metal, but also nowadays people are getting back to that kind of slower, doomier sound that they had from the very first song on their very first album. Um, And of course you gotta mention Led Zeppelin as well. Between Led Zeppelin and Black Sabbath, really... Black Sabbath has had a bigger influence on the psychedelic scene, but especially throughout the 70s and 80s, Led Zeppelin's influence was huge, and Led Zeppelin also bringing in sort of how the Beatles did, bringing in a lot of eastern sounds, world instruments, and using tonalities that are uh, from outside of the the Western music sphere, things like sitars, tampuras, and other types of rhythm and percussion that you can find throughout Asia and other parts of the world. So those types of things became really important to the genre as well, but really can't overstate um, Black Sabbath and the importance that Black Sabbath really played in Developing a whole nother branch, which was sort of the more extreme, heavy rock side of the psychedelic movement um then out in Germany, there was another movement that was happening that was more experimental and also happened a little bit later um and in the u k you had Pink Floyd doing really interesting music. Some of their early music had long tracks with essentially noise and feedback happening, something that's very contemporary in music today, especially in space rock and psychedelic rock. The early Pink Floyd albums, like the Piper at the Gates of Dawn, Saucer Full of Secrets, Metal, really are defining for the whole psychedelic rock movement, in my personal opinion, because... So many of the things that they were experimenting with then have really evolved to a lot of what we're hearing in music now. And people love to talk about Sid Barrett. Sid Barrett was an early member of Pink Floyd. He did a lot of songwriting on their first two albums, which are by far the most psychedelic of their albums and experimental. He was known to use a lot of LSD, but the band, too, was also using tranquilizers. And uh, later, you know, Roger Waters and David Gilmore were using heroin and alcohol, and it really became a big problem. Sid Barrett, at some point, it's pretty mysterious what really happened there, but he left the band or was removed from the band. It seems sort of a mutual decision. The impression I always got there was that he had not liked the popularity of the band. Didn't really seem like the type of person who was looking to be worshipped as a hero, nor to strive for wealth and fame. Those things just kind of came to him. And they're creating a narrative around him. And you got to remember that back then, the way that managers and labels operated with their artists is they really considered their artists to be their property. Um, you see examples of it today in the music industry with Taylor Swift, because she tried to start her own record label and her previous uh, label sued her because she was using her name, Taylor Swift. And they claimed that because her music, they own her music, that they also owned her name the name that she was actually born with. And that's today. So just go back in history to the 1960s when the record industry really controlled who did what. There's a lot of pressure there, a lot of a lot of problems with how that system rolled out. Likewise, too, managers back then used to just hand out whatever the the artists wanted. Like if the artists they they felt that getting the artists onto some of these drugs was a way of enhancing their performance. And there was a big belief that circulated around about that for a long time. But nowadays, it's pretty much uh, well accepted that, you know, if you're in a recording studio, you're going to lay down better parts when you're sober and clean than if you're not you might feel better playing those parts when you're when you're feeling high but when you listen back to the tape it's always almost always better when you're just totally with it totally conscious totally focused on every little note and every little movement so i felt like that concept of performance enhancement was also a control method that labels Extended over the artists that they were managing. And I think Pink Floyd fell into a bunch of that stuff too. It shows out throughout their history. But I do think Sid Barrett's a little unfairly labeled. I mean, Sid Barrett left the band, he came out with some solo albums, and he lived a quiet life as a rich man. And the rest of the band strived onward, struggling with alcoholism, depression, in and out of rehab several times. In the end, I mean, I'm not sure if Sid Barrett had more mental health problems than anyone else in the band, just because of their substance use. So... I think that the narrative there has been a little overplayed, and yes, he had catatonic breakdowns and did end up going into psychiatric ward for treatment after he broke up with his longtime girlfriend, after he left the band, but Roger Waters has gone in and out of psychiatric treatment for extended periods of time, and so has David Gilmore due to their um, addiction problems. So I guess mental health on that scale is a little bit relative. But Pink Floyd definitely changed the game. And then The Dark Side of the Moon was one of the biggest albums ever. And it's got big psychedelic themes in it. And I think, too then you got to jump over to Germany because in Germany they had the most experimental form of psychedelic music if and they didn't really call it that it was krautrock or and kosmische. and we'll start at krautrock it's more of a rock based music it's got a motoric beat with um kind of steady drums and steady bass to create this kind of hypnotic groove and then the guitars and vocals and keyboards um, synthesizers are a big part of that sound, come together in experimental ways to create new sounds. They started making long tracks uh, to fill entire sides of LPs, 20 minutes long, which at the time was pretty radical. People weren't doing that. Then also there was the electronic side of the Krautrock movement, which became known as kosmische, And kosmische was sort of a Synthesizer experiment synthesizers were brand new in the late sixties and early seventies, and some of these bands were literally creating the the forefront for where all of that music would go by freely experimenting with the modular synthesizers, so they would just play and make this music that was abstract new with brand new sounds it and a lot of it sounds very. Either ambient or else kind of alien, but there's this space, alien, psychedelic quality to it. They keep this tension in the music and this blissful blowout feeling through these subtle electronics and synthesizers. That entire part, really, I love to listen to early Tangerine Dream. Um, for that kind of music. It's pretty pretty cool, pretty weird, pretty abstract, their first few albums. And then just a few years later, Kraftwerk came out with theirs. Kraftwerk came out with their version of that kind of electronic music where they started establishing the use of the beat machine. And that was the beginning of techno. And as we know, techno music has moved on to become EDM, dark wave. Psytrance, d- drum and bass, like all the electronic dance music and all the experimental music with synthesizers and with electronic sounds, all butted out of that movement in Germany, the kosmische krautrock movement. And that kind of, on my blog, I really focus on that kosmische element of the electronic scene. And don't have too much on there that's uh, EDM or any of that kind of music, although I think those shows are a lot of fun. And um, so that's kind of my, my brief history of psychedelic rock. There are sort of these different scenes and you can imagine how like a West Coast kind of psychedelic bluegrass folk rock sound, merging with some of that electronic keyboard Cosmiche sound and sort of the experimental free and open style of Pink Floyd's early music can lead to some some pretty great variety in what music was inspired by the various emergences of psychedelic music that happened around the world. And because it's so diverse, it becomes really hard to talk about like what is or what is not psychedelic music. A lot of people really do feel that that term is specified to a specific time period, so like anything made from like sixty five to seventy one would be sort of in the psychedelic garage rock psychedelic rock scene, sort of a term that defines as vintage music. I personally don't see it that way. I like it as a blanket term to hold all these other genres, um, genres like shoegaze, kraut rock, cosmish, psychedelic rock, acid rock, stoner rock, stoner doom, um, certain types of progressive metal. I'm probably missing some of like the main ones, but all of that stuff is on my blog noise rock experimental rock um i curate it so that it's just kind of things that i like but they're all things that i feel have some of that influence still in there from the from the early days of of psychedelic music whether it's from kraut rock or kosmisch or whether it's just a a unique blending of some kind of like more popularized alternative or indie rock music, but they are putting in a lot of those influences. Maybe something like early Tame Impala, the new Holy Wave album is really great with that kind of psych sound. Um, So that's my brief history on psychedelic rock. The psychrock.com has mostly new music releases, so I'd recommend checking it out just want to note a few of my favorite releases of the year before we head out here. Some of my absolute favorite albums of the year is Slifts' Uman. Just a great psych rock album. They kind of move through some of the different genres uh, within the psych umbrella. And then there's Holy Wave, Interlooper. Such a good album. Really loving Acid Mother's Temple, Reverse and Rebirth Revisited, that is a really strange, interesting folk rock album that's just so experimental in acid rock. I love the Acid Mother's Temple stuff. Um, those are kind of the main ones that jump to mind right away. Of course, Vibravoid came out with Decomposition of Noise. I really like the Pancakes new album, mokel goes to town um yeah so check out some music it's all there on the blog and um, we'll be expanding this podcast and what we're offering in no time so stay tuned